Let's go right to the word. Turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 1, verse 37. And just that one verse, the context, of course, if you read the chapter, is in the announcement that this virgin woman is going to have a child, but not by the natural or normal means. Now, the Holy Spirit is going to touch her, and she's going to become pregnant with Jesus, the Savior of the world. And so just that 37th verse is all we need as Mary is asking, how can I have a child? I've never known a man. Also, her cousin, we should mention as context, who was barren. She was not able to have children. Now she's pregnant simultaneously, or they would be simultaneously and so when the questions are asked about her cousin, about herself, the answer that's given to her, to Mary, from the angel is this. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Amen. Now, it's easy for us to do what we do as Christians and we amen things. But like the song that we just sang, it's a nice song from the 19th Psalm, words of my mouth, meditations of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. It's nice to sing it. But it's not that easy to live it. And it's not that easy to look in the mirror and be honest with yourself and just to say, you know what? What came out of my mouth this week, this day perhaps? And the things that I think on, maybe habitually, or the things that I was thinking on this week that led to those words or actions and activities that's when things get difficult. To have the discipline for which we relate the word disciple. With God, nothing is impossible. If I did not know the Bible at all, and if I had spent the last almost half a century just talking to Christians, I would not come up with this conclusion. And why is that? Well, it's like the song that we sang. The words that come out of the mouths of professing Christians. And so you must conclude that God has some limitations and when things are difficult and, you know, you go down that road. We sang again, I want to relate it to the song. We sang, I want to be a blessing in your eyes. Well, let me tell you that that's not an easy road. First of all, God put the prophets in the Old Testament there and the apostles in the New Testament. And, of course, Jesus, God come in the flesh. And the majority of people did not accept them. Killed the prophets, killed almost all the apostles, and they killed Jesus. And so when we look at this and we want to live it, we just have to be prepared for the reality of living for the Lord it certainly has its challenges. But today, being the 17th anniversary of our fellowship here, I like to accent the rewards. I have never, not once ever, prior to 17 years ago in 2005, quit a job on the spot. Never. But because I became entangled with my former denomination over basically what was right and what was wrong, I had the proof, I had the letters, I had the phone calls. To this day, they're still documented. And there was no relenting, there was no negotiation. I was very upset about what they were doing to ministers, and how they were doing it. And as I always tell you, I didn't sign on for all that. If I wanted to be a cheat, I would have just been a cheat. I wouldn't be up here today with a Bible in my hands. That's just me. I wanted to be a bad guy, I'd be a bad guy. But I wanted to be a good guy. I wanted to be a follower of Christ. So as things began to cook up, heat up, they didn't care for the things I was writing and the things that I was saying. And then, as you know the story, some of you know the story, they brought me up on charges, like insubordination and whatever else, some trumped up stuff. 
At one point in the conversation when I stood before my elders, it was just getting to me and I said, you know, I'm all done with talking about this. I'm all finished. I'm resigning. One of the presbyters said to me, you can't resign. You're under charges. And my words to him, I said, what are you crazy? Are you crazy? Read my lips. I quit. I'm out of here. And I told him, you did not die on the cross for me. And you did not fill me with the Holy Spirit. I'm all done. And I walked away. What I didn't know is that there was trouble on the ranch. See, that was a surprise to me. And I didn't know that. And it was getting very convoluted and very chaotic. I took it into consideration that to continue to fight the largest Pentecostal denomination in the world was going to be a Pyrrhic victory, meaning that the casualty list would be so long that it wasn't going to be worth it. So I made an executive decision early that morning that I was going to go in and preach my last message in that church and with that denomination. So I called the board in and I announced that I'm going to go up on the platform and I'm going to preach my last message. I'm done as of today. Well, I don't know who was shocked. I don't know who was actually happy and relieved. I remember my message was the verses that Jesus said that, I will know that you love me if you love each other. And I simply told the people, I said, but I'm not leaving the city of Amsterdam because God sent me here. 1987, September the 27th was the first message I preached in this city. And I wasn't going to leave. Now remember, the sermon today is nothing is impossible with God. But you see, To walk this way that I've been walking for 45 years is not an easy way. Like the little boy who was asked by his mother to get the can of soup out of the pantry. The kitchen was dark, it wasn't lit, and the kid was afraid. She said to him, don't worry, Jesus is in there. And so the boy went into the kitchen and he said, Jesus, can you grab that can of soup? (laughs) It's not an easy way. And so I made the announcement, and some of you were there that day when I said, I'm not leaving this city. God will make a way. Now, in my mind, after 18 years of being here and a few more of being in the Bronx, I figured, well, I'll get a relief for a few months, maybe, you know? And, you know, I get to kind of take it easy for a while, and then we just start somewhere. What I did not know, and this is the life of faith, what I did not know is that in this building, there was a church in here. I didn't even know anything about them. Nothing. I knew nothing about this church at all. They were trying to make a go of it, and it just wasn't working. And they were having their last service on the same day that I was up on the platform informing the congregation that I'm resigning, but I'm not leaving the city. Don't get rid of me that easy. And so they were here saying goodbye to each other, and I was over there saying goodbye to some who just didn't come, and that was fine because I made that clear. You know, whatever you do, there's no hard feelings. And so there was a guest in the service that day, first time at the service, He walked in just to hear the pastor preaching, and he heard me (laughs) resign, and he scratched out a note, and he handed it to one of the deacons, and he said, give this to the pastor, and on it was a man's name and a phone number. He said, tell the pastor to call this number. So I did. The very next morning, I called the number, and I was made aware that this building was available. I was inside this building in about 24 hours. I negotiated that morning to rent the building with an option to buy it and sent out an email. Some of you received it. Some of you weren't there back then, 17 years ago. And I said, I'll be at 46 Market Street. We had a leaky roof, many times leaky roof. Little folding chairs that the Knights of Columbus so kindly left behind. And other things that, you know, the building needed some repair, but it was a solid structure, still a solid structure. And I didn't even get a week off. (laughs) Not even a week. We were in negotiations, contracts were signed, and here we were, and here we are. Time for Truth Ministries.
17 years ago. And I want you to know this. I want you to know this. It was a high price I paid. I lost every single one of my pastor friends. Every single one. The exception is the man who's coming next month. One exception out of hundreds and hundreds of pastors. But you know what? It's all right. Because when you stand for something, you've got to be prepared for the repercussions. You have to be able to stand in faith saying God will provide. And 17 years later, God has provided. Because with God, nothing is impossible. But you see, God requires that we step out first. See, we say, God, you know, show me how this is going to work out and I'll step out. And God says, no, step out and I'll work it out as you go one step at a time. And that's where the difficulties come in. Because it's not easy to walk in the dark. It's easier to have Jesus hand you a can of soup than to go into the kitchen in the dark and trust that he's actually there. And that nothing is going to happen to you. Like Jesus said, not one hair of your head can be hurt because your father has your life in his hands. So here we are. God has provided. Now let me go further. As we sat on rickety chairs and leaky roof and many other things that needed to be done in the course of time, there was always the question of, will God provide now that we're here? Maybe it was a fluke, you know? Well, you'll see on the sheet cake that's, uh, let me watch how you pronounce the cake too. The sheet cake um, <laughs> downstairs, there's a, there's a picture. <laughs> Some of you are a little slow, but you're all right. <laughs> There's a picture of the former owner of the building, Mario Terry, myself, my wife, with the deed signed, paid in full. But here's the thing. We were, I think it was five years. I think it was a five-year contract. We were making our payments, and it came down to the last Sunday, and we were short by a couple thousand dollars. And I'm going to say this because it's just the truth. I wasn't terribly convinced that the owner of the building would say, well, you come up short, so the building is mine. I'm not saying he would have done that. I'm just, I don't trust people. We were about $4,000 short. Not a whole lot, but $4,000. And the note had to be paid by the next morning. And at this point, you say to yourself, why does God always do that? I mean, why can't God just make it easy? I mean, he gave us the building and we almost paid it off, but we were $4,000 short. So we had a special offering that Sunday. And after the offering was counted, we came up $2,000 short. What am I going to tell the owner? What are we going to do when we got to go to the bank? I don't have the money. The money wasn't there. There was a woman in our service. She's not here today. She moved away. And I was the only one that knew, other than those that count the money, I was the only one that knew, you know, what the offering was and that it was short. And uh, she came walking in the office, not knowing anything. And I'm looking at the figures. And she said, you know, the Lord spoke to my heart and told me that whatever the difference was, how she knew we weren't going to make it, I don't know. Um, she said, it was to make up the difference. And she said, well, how much is it? And I said, well, it's $2,000. She wrote out a check. It was paid in full. But that's not the end. Half hour later, I'm sitting there. Now I'm very calm and very collected and very happy. Another woman shows up. And she said, uh, the Lord spoke to us on the way home. We were almost all the way home. We turned around and came back. To say whatever the difference was, that we should make it up. I said, well, somebody else just made up. And I gave him the figure, told him what it was. He said, that's right, God's good. And we got an extra $2,000. So perhaps we're not going to make the annals of history on TBN or any place, and I'm not going to get invited, but I'll tell you one thing. God is faithful. And with God, nothing is impossible. But you're the one that's got to walk out into the dark and get the can of soup.
Too many of you are waiting for Jesus to get the can of soup. He said, I'm not going to get it for you. You go in there, you get it, and I'll be with you. The life of faith can be very strenuous. It can be very difficult. As you have nothing but this naked word in front of you, for with God nothing shall be impossible. And today I'm not going to talk about the virgin birth, but think that through. A woman is having a child, and naturally everybody, and if you and I were there, we would be thinking the same exact thing. She's lying, she's delusional, she's committed adultery, fornication, and on and on. But that wasn't the case. God did it. For with God, nothing is impossible. Some of you will know the name of Charles Kettering. Charles Kettering was the head of research in General Motors from 1920 to 1947. And Charles Kettering is on the record having said that whenever he had an idea for something, he had a table outside of his office and a sign that said, leave your slide rules here. That's when engineers actually used slide rules. Leave your slide rules here. And in his own words, he says, because if I didn't, these are engineers, right? And I gave them what we need to come up with and what ideas I had. He said, inevitably, someone would take out the slide rules, stand up and say, boss, it can't be done. Charles Kettering had 186 patents. I don't know how many of the engineers he worked with had. They probably had a few, I guess, a little here, a little there. I don't know, but I know this much. Kettering had faith in his intellectual capacities, and others did not. Others were always doing the math, said, this can't work out, but with God, nothing is impossible. Amen. With God, nothing is impossible. So Kettering was smart enough to know that some engineer was not going to outsmart him, as I said, throughout his life, he had 186 patents. Now, as far as I know, Edison, Kettering, and maybe we can name many others, didn't necessarily, as far as I know, give the credit to God and Christ. But I figure if man can be persistent and that this can be done against the odds, against the experts' opinions, then we certainly should be able to plan ourselves on that 37th verse of Luke chapter 1 and say, for with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I want to just share something with you. Turn with me now to Matthew chapter 19. I just want to quickly talk about the problem of wealth. It's interesting to me that Jesus, throughout his ministry, then the apostles, talked about the negative aspects of wealth. And yet today, for many, many decades, all we hear is preachers telling people that God wants you wealthy. <laughs> yet when we read here, we're going to see something totally different. Matthew 19, verse 24, it says, And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed. See, the idea was, when you have a lot of money, it's because God is blessing you. That's why they were so amazed. This was opposite of everything they were taught or thought, as it is today in our country, in America. They were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so he amends the statement by announcing what we found here in Luke chapter 1, verse 37. With God, nothing's impossible. Rich, poor, black, white, doesn't matter. God is able to save, the Bible says, to the uttermost. Last week I talked to you about Christ the healer. And I want to just quickly reiterate the gist of that message was this. A precursory reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, we say John and Acts shows that Jesus healed the sick. The physically sick, the mentally ill, demon possessed, and certainly heals our spirits. 
But some say, well, it's not for today. But Jesus never said that. And the apostles never said that. People are still sick. People are still demon-possessed. People are still mentally ill. They're not necessarily the same. And Jesus is still the healer. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're up against it today. You got the Egyptian army behind you. You got the Red Sea in front of you. And again, just my personal word, that's all. If I wasn't a Christian and I hung around with Christians, a lot hung around with Christians and hung out in their fellowships and after messages are preached and what have you, I don't know that I become a Christian. Because I hear what the preacher is saying. I know what the book is saying. I read it. But I'm listening to what Christians are saying. Well, it's impossible. Well, I thought, see, I would be the guy raises in hand. So I, th I thought I said, well, God, nothing's impossible. Right. I'm not sharing my testimony yet. And I think I'm going to share it again soon because it's been a while since I shared it. But I was an impossible case. I told you that last week. Records are still that way. Oh, yeah, with men, okay. Jesus said, with men, it's impossible, but not with God. Amen. There is no case that's impossible with God. There is nothing that is impossible with God. With God. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, just to give you a little bit of history, that just coincidentally happens to involve the Irish. There were two men, Jack Judge and Harry Williams. They were singing in an Irish pub. And they were singing traditional Irish songs, and they made this boast that they could write and sing, perform a song in one day. Well, people had their doubts about that. But by the end of the night, they were performing in the major theater in England, singing It's a Long Way to Tipperary. Now, you say, well, I don't even know what that song is. I mean, you've never heard of it, and it's a silly, silly song. But it wasn't for the soldiers in World War I. It was a major, major marching song, an encouraging song. I won't read you the lyrics, but it has some Irish humor in it as well. It reminds me of the man that I knew who had been in combat much over 50 years in his military career. And he was telling me a story when they were in Korea. He was in Korea, he was in Vietnam, he was in many countries in combat. He was telling me a story of how they're coming back from a major encounter. Tired, wanting to quit, like some of you. Ragged, wounded, friends are dead. Thinking negative, you know, I mean, you can't blame them. And then he said, there's always, he called them a name. And always some SOB would start singing from the halls of Monte. And before you know it, everybody's marching. Long Way to Tipperary was a song that the wounded and the discouraged would sing that song and would say, we're going to make it. We're going to do this. And this was a song for the Allies. So sort of like George M. Cohan's song, Over There. These were songs that were very popular. I'm just trying to point out many writers write songs in one day. That's not impossible. But it shows the examples I've given you so far, the couple I've given you, are just people who say it can be done. It can be done. For us, we have something far beyond just it can be done. We have statements here that says with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. God provided this building for us 17 years ago. God, through your offerings and tithes and prayers, allowed us to pay the mortgage. If you're new to our building, you're seeing it after it's been dressed up, makeup has been put on it, the ceiling and the wraps around the columns and the rug and so many, many things. And sometimes, you know, in my own thinking, I think about all what we don't have at Time for Truth. But then I go back and I remember all the things we do have. All that God has done because it says with God, nothing is impossible. What is it you're up against today and your mind is filled and clouded with it can't be done. You're like one of the engineers with a slide rule and you go to God's book or you hear the preacher and you say to yourself, that can't be done. 
Well, you just contradicted God. Because God said it can be done. Now, admittedly, there are cases where any of us would look at it and say, that's going to take a miracle. But guess what? You're never going to believe this one. Jesus of Nazareth was more than a carpenter, more than a philosopher, more than a teacher, more than just a man. He actually worked miracles. Miracles. Let's go and let's read in Mark chapter 9. Jesus did things that were impossible with men. Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 17. And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. Well, this means he couldn't speak. And wheresoever he taketh him, the spirit, the demon spirit, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spoke to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. Now that paints a picture for you and for me. I mean, some people actually try things and don't work. Not with Jesus. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. I like that. I really do. Because I don't find a whole lot in Christianity. But I find everything in Christ. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. What this world can offer me, we sang that earlier. Take it all and give me Jesus, the miracle worker. Jesus, the one who answers prayer. Jesus, who after so many years you walk with him and trust him and walk in the dark. You have testimony after testimony. So you have experience. And experience tells you God got me through these things all these years. He's going to get me through whatever I've got to go through in the years ahead. Yeah, then you have in church. Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. Shows us something here too about demonic possession. Remember, not all mental illness is demonic possession. But he had it from a child. And oft times it has cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. Well, that's the aim of Satan with your life. That's the aim of Satan with your children. How many we've dedicated here at this so-called altar, you know, anointed with oil. And they grow up and they walk away from the faith. They walk away from Christ. I may be misunderstood when I say this, but you can walk away from Christianity, but don't walk away from Christ. That needs explanation, but I'm not going to take the time today. Don't walk away from Christ. How long has it been? Well, he's been this way since he's a child. And oft times it cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You ever feel like that? Lord, have compassion. Lord, have mercy. I'm at my wit's end. I'm at the end of my rope. God keeps lengthening the rope. For with God, nothing is impossible. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. You know what? I think that that is... An apropos statement for so many professing Christians. It's not that they don't believe at all. 
It's just that measure, however large or moderate it may be, that negates the prayer life of God doing what only God can do. For with God, nothing is impossible. If only we'd rise up to that faith today. Let me tell you something. When I resigned my position 17 years ago, I had no guarantee of anything. My salary, who knows what's going to happen. I had five children. My retirement account, well, that's out the window. Health insurance, nope. The only thing I'm really glad for is I had the sagacity that I bought my house before this disaster happened. I'd be homeless too. So I had a house. I just didn't have any money. I didn't know who would support the ministry any longer. On radio at that time for, what, 17, 18 years. I didn't know anything. All I knew is I would not put up with this type of abuse from people who hold Bibles in their hands and preach to people. I signed on for Jesus. That's it. I signed on for Jesus. That's it. That's all. Signed on for Jesus. But I'm telling you today and all these years that I've known him since I was 23 years old, he has never let me down. Never. I can't say to you, well, there was a time when I thought God was going to come through, and he didn't. He's always come through. I can remember the day that we set out, and we had at the time, I think, just two small children, my wife and I, to pioneer work in Yonkers, New York, in a building that the city was condemning. That means they were going to knock it down. They never did. But they were going to knock it down. We had a little red Honda with, uh, what, we had 50 hymnals and a communion set that they gave us to say, good luck. Others, now this is the true story, others within that denomination were getting money for a year. Guess what Ray Barnett got? Nothing. And I think it was the design of God. I really do. Because God has designed for me and you to trust him all the time right from the beginning. Amen. To trust him. Yes. Well, what choice do you have? Driving a little Honda. Got my wife there sitting next to me and two kids in the back seat. The building was condemned. We actually met Sunday morning in one place. Sunday evening in another place, and Wednesday evening in another place. People were saying, I want to go to the church. And I said, well, it depends on the day. We're a nomadic tribe. <laughs> I'm telling you stories. I'm telling you testimonies. I'm telling you of years and years of knowing the Lord. And he doesn't make it any easier now that I'm older. It's not like now he just answers like the same day because I'm getting old. It seems like he's getting longer. We needed so much money to exist. I left my job, a secure job, with the United States Postal Service, which I hated, because I kept thinking about preaching the gospel. When I quit my job, I had nothing under my feet, nothing, with few exceptions. Most of my congregation, was only maybe 25 people, had either just got out of prison, were still selling drugs, on drugs, biker gangs, and didn't really look like a real promising group. But I believed then what I believe now, that with God, nothing is impossible. We took up offerings, and it was always just enough to get us by. Always just enough. Now, we had one man in the church who gave quite a bit more than everybody else. So everybody just got out of prison or whatever. They didn't have any money. And my wife asked me one day, said, well, what do we do if we lose so-and-so? I said, then God will replace him with ten others. See, this is how I think. I'm kind of simple that way. Because the book says, with God, nothing is impossible. And we survived. And then we got a building in the Bronx. We had meetings there, and the church went well. Then God called me here, and then things went well here. Sort of. <laughs> but I say God's never let me down. Amen. I mean, who else can you trust? You got friends? Oh, yeah, I got friends. They'll do anything for me, yeah? Get in trouble, find out how many friends you got. 
Because I've been in trouble a couple of times, not with the police, but I mean, I've been in trouble. And all of a sudden, my friends aren't around. But guess who is? God. Jesus. He's always there. And he's sometimes scratching his head, looking at me, saying, what is it you want? Well, Lord, you know what I need. And then the scripture comes to me. My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But you got to walk in faith in the dark and go get that can of soup. Because with God, nothing is impossible. You're trying to get blessed standing outside the kitchen calling me, hey, Jesus, can you get me the soup? And he keeps saying, I'm not getting you the soup. Go in and get it. And trust me that nothing will hurt you. Nothing will harm you. And that's what we need in this world today. The church to rise up. To believe God. Preachers who have an intrepid spirit that no matter what has to get done or has to be done to get the job done, they do it knowing that God will always be faithful and that with God, nothing is impossible. Amen. Nothing. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. That should be our prayer. God, I believe, but there's a part of me that I waver and I doubt. And you don't have to say yes or no or amen, but don't you tell me, because I know you people. <laughs> I listen to your words. You don't tell me that there's not some measure of unbelief, the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart. And I'm telling you this as a truth. It takes diligence. It takes a lot to keep looking at your mind and your soul and say, well, what am I thinking? What am I thinking? Why am I thinking this? I refuse that thought. And keep your eyes on Jesus. It takes a lot of work. It's a lot of diligence, a lot of vigilance. But God is able. It doesn't matter how you feel today. God is able. It doesn't matter what your condition is. God is able. It doesn't matter what the doctors say. They're not always right. That comes as a shock, I know. People are not always right, but God is always right. Hallelujah. Always. Where are you at today? What is it you're facing? God has no limitations. You do, and I do. God does not have any limitations at all. None. I find that to be greatly encouraging. So, for centuries, it was stated that the human being cannot run a mile in four minutes. For centuries. I mean, the Greeks actually studied the human body and said it's impossible. The way the body is built is not made to ever achieve a four-minute mile. And this went on for centuries and centuries until one man one day got up and said, I'm going to do it. And Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile barrier. And that year, I forget what the number was, a couple hundred people did the same thing. A couple hundred people said, hey, it can be done. You see, when you act in faith and people actually see the results, they start to follow. They say, it can be done. If God would do it for Ray Barnett, Pastor Ray, he'll do it for me. No one did it for thousands of years until Roger Bannister said it can be done. And he did it in that year. I forget what the number was. hundred plus or more people did it. Now someone, just a few years ago, ran the mile in 3 minutes, 43 seconds. Can't be done. That's what they said for centuries. But it was done, and it's being done. What if we really began to tug on the hem of Jesus' garment? Remember, he's resurrected, and said, God, I believe. Well, the expression, I think, fits when we say, then, the sky is the limit. Literally, the sky is the limit. We can touch heaven. We can bring heaven to earth. And it's going to need heaven on earth because we're in a mess. But with God, nothing is impossible. And so you get up, you know, and you read the papers and it says there aren't any jobs. 
You know, I've never been unemployed in my whole life. In fact, when we came here, I actually got a trainer's certificate just in case I had to make up the difference of whatever little the people gave, maybe. And you know what? It's hung on my wall all these years and I never used it because God was faithful. I made my first million in this ministry. (laughs) Well, not really, but you know, I'm not complaining because God has given me something greater than wealth, greater than what these false prophets teach on the television and on the radio. He's given me the gift of eternal life. And it's something that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know. And when I'm sick, I've got a healer. And when I'm down, let's say, on the financial end of it, God brings the money in. I do watch the stock market just for a laugh. Because I just picture what people are saying. You see the stock down, went 500 points down, and then the tank, bah, 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 bah. Because they put their trust in man. They put their trust in money instead of putting their trust in God. With God, nothing is impossible. And God has promised I've exhorted you. I guess we're going to have to read it sooner or later. Read Job chapter 5. Read the Psalms, where it tells us that even in famine, we'll be able to laugh at the famine. Now, you don't laugh at the people, but you say, oh, we're hearing all this. But God has always taken care of his own. God has always taken care of those that put their trust in him. But it's got to be more than just words. Oh, I trust you, Lord. I really believe. No. People who really believe walk in through the door into the dark kitchen, come back with the soup, and say, hey, Ma, I got the soup. And guess what? Jesus was with me. You start to get encouragement and confidence. What are you facing today? With God, nothing is impossible. Nothing. But there's a condition. You're in Matthew. Turn to chapter 21. Now, this man, he cries out, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And, you know, we all have a measure of that. Matthew 21, verse 21. Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, that's when he cursed it, you remember, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. Now, it's interesting to me, I've prayed for probably tens of thousands of people in my ministry over the years, And recently getting some very, very good results on the Oasis broadcast with the people that I teach about nervous symptoms and mental health. But I want to tell you a story. You see, how my ministry first began with me going to a church and telling the pastor, well, I'm leaving the church that I'm in, and I'm going to find a church. So I'm coming here to you. I said, but here's the condition. I'm not sitting in the seats. I'm going to work. So if you can't put me to work, I'm going to another church. You have no idea what that does to a pastor. Someone who comes in and says, I won't stay unless you make me work. I've never had it happen to me. I'll let that go. (laughs) I'm not going, he says, well, we need a youth group. And he knew that I had a youth group in the other church. I said, fine, let's get it going. He had nothing. So we started. I don't remember how many we had in the beginning, but we started. And there I would take my guitar and I'd sing a few songs. Then I'd preach, just like I do here, for an hour. What? That's right. Now we're talking about eternal life. This isn't baseball. This isn't basketball and football. We're talking about eternal life. We're talking about resolving your problems by putting faith in God. I used to preach. Then we'd have an altar call. We laid hands on the sick. And what happened was these young people, I'm talking about early 20s now, one guy would stuff his car with people. I mean it. Stuff the car. They'd get out like you see clowns in the circus just falling out of the car. And they were coming in. They were on drugs. They were drug addicts, heroin addicts, all types of people with problems. And we would just lay our hands on them. It was so simple. It was so simple. 
We had a problem if someone started yelling, screaming, we just lay our hands on them, cast the devil out. Problem solved. They brought a woman in one night. i never forget her name. Leslie. What was her name? Leslie. Brought her up, and one of the young men who now, he's been himself a pastor in, in ministry. He said, Pastor, this is Leslie, and um, she's nine months pregnant. Her stomach was flat. You never know she was pregnant. And you never know she's nine months pregnant. But she's been shooting heroin for the whole nine months. So I spoke to her, and she was telling me that the doctors said, well, first of all, the baby will be dead if it goes through the canal at all. But they had plans to do a C-section. They fully expected this baby to be dead. But they said if it's not, it's going to be so severely deformed that she was on the needle for nine months while she was pregnant with this baby. She had no hope. They brought her up that night from the Bronx to our meeting, which then was in Yonkers. And I just found myself saying this, and sometimes the words just come out. If you can believe, anything is possible. Now, in my head, I'm not thinking like, you know, we could fix this. We cannot fix this. You've been shooting heroin for nine months. We can't fix this. But God can. Laid hands on her. That was it. There wasn't any thunder. There wasn't any organist playing. There wasn't any shouts. There was nothing. Took the oil, laid our hands on her, and that was that. A couple of weeks later, I'm asking my buddy about Leslie, how she's making now. He said, oh, you didn't hear? I said, no. But she had the baby. Baby weighed like nine pounds. Yeah, nine pounds. And because she went into labor, they said, oh, let's not do the C-section. We'll just let the baby pass through the canal. The baby came out. Totally normal. Totally normal. And I forgot to mention that when they weighed, you know, the baby, how they do this with ultrasound, the baby weighed three pounds the night that we prayed. That baby only weighed three pounds. Gained six pounds in just the 10 days, 12 days, whatever it was. Now, you have to remember, I wasn't dealing with normal people in the Bronx. I mean, these people had, you know, long records and histories. One guy, just to see, dressed up with a white coat, stole a doctor's coat. That's the story. He said, Dr. So-and-so, he came walking into radiology. Can I see the x-rays on Leslie so-and-so? Uh, sure, doctor, and throwing him up in there, there's the baby. Everything was normal. So they figured out this is an imposter, and they kicked him out. <laughs> well, you know, about three years later, she came back. Three years, she came back to the church. I'll never forget this little boy. Platinum blonde hair, blue eyes, perfectly normal. Because with God, nothing is impossible. Amen. Nothing is impossible. When Alcoholics Anonymous first started... They didn't talk about a higher power. They talked about Christ and God. It was started by a Christian. Now it's like, and it's the stupidest saying in the world. If you want to make the chair your higher power, how stupid could you be if you say the chair is smarter than you? Now, I know people who are that dumb, but for you to actually admit it, the higher power is not just the universe speaking to us. It's God Almighty with whom nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. Now the question now is, do we believe this? And I want to say this again. When you're looking at a young woman who's been shooting heroin for nine months, and her stomach is, you know, flat, and you can't tell that she's pregnant, and she's very, you know, thin, what would you see a heroin at? Who's not eating right and all that. You don't say in your head, once again, you don't say, oh, we can fix this. There's no fixing this. But when we place faith in the God whom we cannot see, God who is invisible, but every bit with us right now in this place, as he ever will be, and as we will ever be with him, things can change. Why? Because with God, 
Nothing is impossible. Mental health may be impossible on the books. It may be impossible for men, but it's not impossible with God. Name your poison. I mean, literally, name your poison. I got to tell you the truth. Well, it is the time for truth ministries, so what would you expect? A lie? <laughs> you know, I watch these, you've seen them too. These people up in the mountains or wherever they are, you know, they're drinking gallons of strychnine and they're handling snakes, you know, to prove Mark 16. <laughs> I say to myself, uh, number one, just to put you at ease, we're not doing it. <laughs> we're not having any strychnine in this place. We're not going to bring in snakes to prove the Bible. We're not going to have you drinking strychnine. I'm not going to drink any strychnine, at least I'm telling you that. But I got to tell you, <laughs> there's something about watching these people say they're either really nuts or they have real, I don't know what it is. I don't want to accent that too much, but it's like, it is in the book. But Jesus didn't say every Sunday night, drink strychnine. It's just the fact that God with whom nothing is impossible. When the apostle Paul stood before Herod, Agrippa, and he's talking about the resurrection. He says, why do you think this is a big deal? I'm paraphrasing. Why do you think this is a big deal? There's nothing impossible with God. God can raise the dead. God has raised the dead. And God will raise the dead. Amen. This is our hope. Amen. Yeah. This is our hope. Some people look at us and they say, well, Christians are dopes. We're not dopes. We got hopes. Some people say, that pastor's cracking up. I'm not cracking up. I'm packing up. I see the signs, I see the times, and I keep looking up and say, even so, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Now, I want to finish today by asking you, men and brethren, what shall we do? What are we going to do? Satan, the book says, he walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There's always somebody that's wavering and Satan wants him. And look, at it's not good to have started with Jesus and went a long way with Jesus, then turn around and go back. Because the book says it would be better had they never known. Better. And verses like that. In any case, I'll say to you, you know, if I ever have a thought, and I have had them, about the good old days. I mean, like, you know, 50 years ago, 40 years ago. Eh, those were the good old days. It's always the case that right alongside of it, God will remind me of what went with that. And I say, well, that's the reason I came to Jesus. They weren't all that great. Because if it was, I wouldn't have came to Jesus. I would have just stayed there. By now, who knows what I'd be. And if you'll go back in your memory and you'll remember, there was a reason you came to Jesus. Now is the time to go forward, to go further. Now we need Jesus more than ever before. With Christ, nothing is impossible. Once that's birthed in your heart, like Roger Bannister, for centuries, they said it couldn't be done, then it was done, then whatever, a hundred and something people, they all do it. But that takes courage. It takes conviction. It takes a type of mindset that you are convinced that this is true. Now, I'm convinced. I'm convinced. That's the only thing that's kept me here in this city for this long. I'm convinced in the power of God. I'm absolutely convinced. It's your staying power. But if you're only half convinced or you're not really convinced, you won't make it. You won't stay. And then where are you going to go? We use the expression playing church. I was a singer. I mean, I discovered my voice when I was seventh grade, eighth grade, singing harmony. We had a music class once a week. So they're singing melody. I just decided to sing the harmony. And back in the Catholic school, you know, you have the nuns who were much more effective than metal detectors and <laughs> canines and security guards. And the lady was playing, and I hear everybody singing the melody, and I hear in my brain music, and I say, oh, let me sing it like this. And I sang a harmony, and she stopped. 
Who's singing like that? I was in the last seat. I always sat in the last seat and just slouched down. I'm looking around and say, oh man, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I broke a rule. And she said, was that you? She said, no, no, you're not in trouble. She said, let me hear you sing. I'm not, I'm not singing. I said, okay, now I'll tell you what we'll do. I'll play it again, but you sing it. And then I did, because now I felt encouraged. And that's when I discovered my singing voice. But what I want to say is this. I discovered my singing voice before I knew Christ. So I knew I could sing. And I want to say to you that it's relatively easy to come to church and sing. It is well with my soul. It's easy to say that. But is it the truth? Is it really well with your soul? God is so powerful that with him nothing is impossible. And so let's go before God today. Let's bring him our troubles. Let's bring him our cares. Let's bring him our idiosyncrasies. Let's bring him our unbelief. And say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Let's go before him and believe that God is going to provide for time for truth ministries. You have no idea how many offers I get almost on a daily basis for radio, more radio stations, invitations to overseas, invitations to do a lot of things. I just don't have the laborers to help me. Pray for that for me, would you? I should say with me. It's Christ's ministry, not mine. But let's go before the Lord today on this 17th anniversary of the Time for Truth Ministries. I'm going up year number 36 here in this town. And 34 of them on radio. There's many, many souls to save. Who's God going to use? Say to yourself, here am I, Lord, send me. So, Father, we come to you. First of all, we give you thanks. 17 years ago, unbeknownst to me, well, I was just simply standing on a principle, principles plural. And you took that and you birthed this ministry. And here we are, Lord, we've taken a lot of punches, a lot of gut punches, a lot of surprise attacks, a lot of vitriol, but we're still standing. We're still pronouncing, announcing, declaring your word. My friends here in front of me, my brothers and sisters in Christ, those that are watching, I know overseas because I get your prayer requests too. Who's sick and who's dying? God, nothing is impossible with you. Nothing. So we come before you this morning, God, and we say, help our unbelief. Help us to get past the media who half the time never knows what they're talking about when they're not lying in the other half. Help us, Lord. Keep our eyes on you and to believe you. And anyway, we give you thanks for keeping us all these years. And not just in this building, in this church, but in our walk with you. We think we're holding your hand. It's not. You're holding our hand. God, I know there's impossible situations of people sitting in front of me, those watching on television and those listening by way of the radio. And we would say, yeah, and it is impossible, but not with God. With God, nothing is impossible. Your word says that we should be strengthened with might by your spirit, which is in the inner man. And we bless you for that. And we praise you for that. Now, God, pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit, God, that we may appreciate this day and every day until we see you in eternity. Oh, God, when you wipe away every tear, when you wipe away all the sorrows and our cares all past, and we see you for eternity and spend eternity with you, oh, God, hasten the day. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. We put our trust in you. Like the Irishman wrote, it's a long, long way to Tipperary. We start out on this narrow path, this long way to the kingdom, and we get closer every day. Closer and closer every day. Great are you, Lord. Great are you, and worthy to be praised. This morning, church, let's not forget these lessons. I see some of you take notes, and some of you highlight your Bible. Look them over. 
Read them again. Read them a hundred times. A thousand times. Until it sinks deep in your heart. Until you believe it. Let us be what the book says we are to be. Believers. Jesus Christ. Let's fulfill that commandment. When Jesus said, I know that you love me when you love one another. So let's stop with all the other, I love the Lord. And watch your mouth and how you treat the brethren. And stop. Because it's an indication that you don't really have, you don't really possess what you say you do. Just saying. I will know that you love me, you keep my commandments, this is my commandment, that you love one another. So with that today, Father, we bless you. We praise you. I do pray that your word, not just today, but always as we read it and hear it, would take root in our heart and cause us to be what we ought to be and need to be. For with you, nothing is impossible. Now, God, please bless the fellowship we're about to have, our time together. And all this week, remind us to love you with all of the heart, all of the soul, all of the mind, all of the strength, and once again, to love one another. Father, now we thank you. I ask you to bless what we're about to say and do downstairs in Jesus' mighty name. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. amen.